Ruth. Hood, hood, wink, wink. Feel free to come up. Sorry, Matt. Just made you get up. Ruth was away on another vacation. Was it Australia this time? or It was down under. <laughs> Ruth didn't know I would be calling her up, so she's going to stumble through this. You might have to hold it closer, Ruth. Testify that the Lord brought me through a, quite a trial this past month. And, um, and I just want to thank him that he brought me through. Yeah. <laughs> How about you talk and I'll hold it for you. I just want to thank and praise God for... Um, all he brought me through this past week and I mean month and um, I had a good report from the doctor I had a procedure at the hospital and um, I just want to give him praise, honour and glory for bringing me through this what, what and was, I thank God what for was, all the what happened to you? well um, had um, what they call bowel cancer Bowel uh, cancer, okay. And um, I've got a good report and I don't have to go back to the doctor for um, every four months for a blood test now. So I'm thankful and praise God. And when they mm. checked your um, lymph yeah. nodes, there was nothing? Do you have to go no. back for chemotherapy? No, no. Praise God. No, thank you, praise God. Awesome. And I've been fr free of pain since yesterday. Awesome, awesome. Praise God, that's awesome. Oh. <laughs> and it all happened in about three weeks ago, <laughs> less than three weeks ago. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Ruth. <laughs> See, that wasn't half as bad. Would you like to come up every week? Okay, we were talking about... Wayne, am I good to go? Okay. We were talking about um, Josiah and the culture of kings, but somehow I felt we need to visit something else that perhaps is not as um, culture-ish, but something um, relatively simple that we've gone over before, but I'd like to go over again. And so today we're going to talk about this thing called blind faith. But blind faith is really not blind. Blind faith is actually uh, the same as walking by sight. It just depends on what kind of sight we are talking about. That's why I gave it that title, Blind Faith is Equal to Walking by Sight. And though it sounds contrary to what Scripture says, we'll find out that seeing is so vital in exerting faith. So... I put the scripture on top of your page so that we can look at it and see how um, God in that scripture brings out certain uh, things about faith that we need to take notice of. And so this is from Hebrews 11:13 to 16. And here's what it says. It says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. It's talking about the heroes of faith in 
um, Hebrews 11. They did not receive the things promised. They only, and look at the words that have been highlighted, saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of that country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so, I want us to notice... Did it? Yeah, it's not living on the edge. Yeah, so, um, folks, one of the things we need to understand about faith is that faith requires us to be people who see. And seeing is vital if we want to walk in the kind of faith that um, uh, God wants us to and that the people in Hebrews chapter 11 did. And so, we're going to examine some of those things I've highlighted on that page. And one of the things we will see there is that it all begins this way. And we spoke about this uh, long ago. Seeing has to precede believing, has to precede confessing or saying has to precede action or doing. Seeing has to precede believing, has to precede confessing, has to precede doing. Has to. Anything less than that, if any of these steps are missed, then you miss out on what would really be faith. If if we begin at confession, then really it's a hollow echo. If we begin at believing, uh, what are we believing on? Because if you don't see accurately, a belief is um, based on falsehoods. And any action that is not based on these is presumptuous. And presumption is not faith. Presumption is dangerous. That which we see is equal to that which we believe, which will then produce that which we confess, which then leads to that which we do. And please understand that breakthrough in any area in your life does not come through chance, but through change. Breakthrough in my life, in any area, whatever you're struggling with, be it uh, failure, be it provisions, be it healing, be it um, just an inability to break out of a cycle that you seem to re-enter, be it hopelessness, whatever it be, breakthrough does not come by chance. Breakthrough does not come by chance, but only through change. Only through change. And change does not happen till in the areas that I'm dealing with, I go through these four phases. I go through these four phases. And I'm saying to you that if you follow through on these steps in whatever area it is that you want to, you'll find that over a period of time, it will be impossible, impossible to restrict you or shortchange you from um, obtaining what God has planned for you. It will be impossible. I'm using the word impossible. 
it will be impossible to restrict you or shortchange you from obtaining that which God has for you. Guys, remember, we've said this here before, we do not operate by rules, we do not operate by policies, we only operate by principles, and principles have the ability to do two things. Principles have the ability to change our mindset, and principles have the ability to destroy principalities. Let me say that again. Principles have the ability to destroy both mindsets and principalities. Rules will not do it. Policies will not do it. Wishy-washy compromises won't do it. The only thing that takes down both mindsets and principalities, which are the only two enemies that Christians have to struggle against here on earth, can both be taken down by principles. And one of the unchanging principles of faith is that I have to see accurately Based on what I see accurately, I have to now stake my belief. Based on what I've staked my belief on, I now need to uh, speak it, declare my intent. And once I have declared my intent, it is required of me now to put into action that which I've seen, believed and spoken. And once this principle is established, it is impossible to restrict me or shortchange me from obtaining everything on earth that God has appointed me. Everything on earth. Everything on earth that is appointed to me by God. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> she's, she's, she's eating a banana and asking me to repeat it. No, go ahead. Uh, (laughs) It goes well with a bit of calcium there. (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised that I didn't pause for a breath. Let me start again then. I want to say to us that uh, the two enemies we have here on earth are our mindsets and principalities that oppose what God wants uh, for us. The one thing that can destroy both mindsets And principalities are principles. Principles destroy both mindsets and principalities. We've said before we don't operate by rules because rules don't work. We uh, don't operate by policies or compromised uh, values that takes a little from the world, takes a little from Christianity, mixes it, and takes a little from the supernatural, takes a little from common sense, and mixes it, takes a little from reason, takes a little from uh, things that are of God, mixes it. We don't operate by that. We only operate by principles that are extracted from the Word. And these principles then have the ability to destroy both mindsets and principalities. And one of the principles that is unchanging when it comes to faith is this principle of Seeing accurately what God has said in His Word or what God is showing. And then having seen it accurately, to stake my belief on what I've seen. And having staked my belief on what I've seen, I now begin to embrace it and very easily declare my intent with words. And once I declare my intent, it is required of me now to begin to do or put into action that which I have seen, believed and have declared. And when I do this, 
what happens is there is nothing that is restricted from me. There's nothing I can be shortchanged off from obtaining in terms of all the things that God has for me here on earth. I'd like to say to you that Jesus lived this way. Our standards when it comes to faith will be the same standards as the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It will not be less. It will not be less. So, as we talk about this today, if at times it chaffs you that perhaps you operated by a standard that is lower, then feel free to apply some talcum powder. But we're not going to lower our standards. We're going to just just operate at that level. However the Son of Man operated and how he approached everything is how we will approach things in terms of being taught. Questions? A mindset is my way of thinking. A principality is um, uh, uh, opposing spirit force that tries to come against what I need to do. And both can be destroyed with principles. Because it is written is the most effective weapon because it's the sword of the spirit. We'll go into that. This is just the intro. Any other questions? Okay. Let's move on to seeing then. See, in Jeremiah 1.11, you see God talking to Jeremiah. And he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see an almond tree. And then God says, good, I will watch over my word to perform it. Then he goes a little further and he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see a boiling pot from the north. And so on. Folks, we need to understand that sight and sound are used powerfully in the spiritual realm. Sight and sound are used powerfully in the spiritual realm. By both God and the enemy, by the way, because the enemy always tries to counterfeit that which is God. And it's a poor counterfeit, but it's still a counterfeit. Sight and sound are used powerfully in the spirit realm. Israel saw Goliath. David saw an uncircumcised Philistine. Peter saw the waves. Peter also saw a man at the beautiful gate. And seeing him, he knew that the man had faith. Elisha saw the chariots of fire around the trees and knew that he was safe. Elijah saw Jezebel, even though Jezebel sent a messenger. The Bible says, Elijah saw. Sight and sound are used powerfully in the spiritual realm. And God uses sight and sound to show us things, but the enemy uses sight and sound to intimidate us. Works both ways. Elijah, this powerful prophet, comes down from Carmel, and the Bible says, Jezebel sent a messenger to him to say to him that he would uh, be dead by the evening of the next day. And the Bible says, Elijah saw. Elijah saw. And yet Elisha was able to see chariots of fire around when no one else could see it. Sight and sound are used powerfully. So guard the affections of your heart in terms of what you let into your life through the eye gate 
and the ear gates. Because all intimidation, all fear has to come through sight and sound. They're used powerfully. And the enemy knows this. Which is why there is absolutely no room when it comes to seeing to allow sights and sounds that are meant to put fear in me. I have to give it no room. It's like an immediate shutdown. And it happens quite a few times in a day sometimes to people where suddenly this sight, or the, the, you see this um, uh, thing happening or you, uh, there's an image that comes to your mind and you begin to go down that road or you hear something that someone says or you hear something on um, uh, TV and immediately your mind starts stirring. You've got to train yourself, discipline yourself. It is your personal responsibility to train yourself and discipline yourself to shut it down. To shut it down. The gates are yours to close or open, guys. The gates are yours to... You've got to shut down sights and sounds that are not from God from entering your soul. For instance... There is, it is impossible, you know, you know, it's so strange, but every medicine, every insurance coverage, every car is sold simply on the basis sometimes of sight and sound in terms of fear or attractiveness. I mean, they'll tell you this medicine can take away this pain and uh, 80% of Canada is dying of it, so you better get this medicine. And then once you're hooked, they'll tell you how if you take that medicine, it'll cause you dizziness, vomiting, um, slow death pain in the nose, and hair loss. And that they say quickly so that you don't realize. But they've already got you hooked because they told you that 80% of Canada dies of it. Sight and sound are vital. The enemy knows it. Babylon knows it. Babylon works on it, guys. Works on it. Shut it down. Uh, Oh, this is something you have to take personal responsibility for. There's no other way around it. I do not want in my life anything that does not come from God and I shut it down and I say, Father, I do not want to deal with that. And if I see that there is fear in my heart when I hear this, then I go and say to the Lord, Father, I did not go down that track, but did you see that I had fear when it uh, was spoken about? So now can you and I talk about it so that we can deal with this fear? Because I will not operate by fear either. Anything that stirs fear, anything that is out of control in terms of uh, sight and sound, anything that uh, brings up emotions that are not uh, are, are negative, anything that sends me down a track, track that is unscriptural or is a deviation of scripture or is not godly, anything that is recurring over and over again, anything that comes even with a hint of condemnation, anything that accuses or condemns others, Anything of this sort is not from God. This is why it is vital to know the nature of God. Because once I know the nature of God, it is easier to identify that which is of God and that which is not. We live in a completely different time, Matt. Completely different time. They had to do that because they had to set the standards of holiness and unholiness. And then Christ comes and pays the standard of unholiness. It was that condemnation that was heaped on Israel that the son paid. 
Israel was called the son. Now son, the son who is Christ comes and pays for that condemnation. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's how it works. I have to move on. But we'll come back to questions again, Matt. Uh, folks, all faith is preceded by accurate sight or revelation. All faith is preceded by accurate sight or revelation. All faith, all matters of faith have to be preceded by accurate sight and revelation. So there's, uh, when we talk about blind faith, it's just a way of saying it, I think. Uh, Tino, is there any chance you can turn the air conditioning off for a little while? And then perhaps I'll send you again to turn it on. Um, thanks, man. So accurate fa uh, faith is always preceded by sight, accurate sight and revelation. For instance, if you go to Romans 1.17, if you go to Romans 1.17, it says in Romans 1.17, uh, <laughs> we, we often talk about it. The righteous will live by faith is what Romans 1.17 says. But look at the beginning of the scripture. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is, as it is written. First, it has to, righteousness from God has to be revealed before one can begin to walk by faith and not by sight. But always sight precedes or revelation precedes. Faith. Take another scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 7. 2 Corinthians 5 7. Again, it talks about uh, living by faith and not by sight. It says there, we live by faith and not by sight. But now go to uh, Revelations 5 verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It is preceded by sight. Therefore, why therefore? Therefore because the Spirit of God has been given to us and He shows us what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by Sight. It is always preceded by revelation or sight. Second uh, Corinthians five seven. Uh, five five. Just going to the preceding verses. Five seven says we live by faith and not by sight. But you see why we live by faith? Because we have been given the Holy Spirit, who brings us uh, that guarantee of things to come, based on that knowing of the things that are to come. That is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Now we don't have to worry about living in the body or living. Uh, in the heavenlies, we just operate by faith because we have something to stand on. Faith always is preceded by revelation. Folks, you will teach, you will live, you will believe what you see. You will teach, you will live, you will believe what you see. Let me say that again. You will teach, you will live, and you will believe what you see. I'm not talking about just plain natural sight. I'm talking about see as in what you see and base your faith or belief on. Why do you think there are pastors who will 
uh, tell you that, I mean, I remember going to this church once and uh, spending almost 45 minutes uh, talking about the mighty deeds of God and how God has done this and that. And uh, people in the church were very um, uh, convinced in that meeting of what I was saying, and they were agreeing. And then after I was done, one of the pastors came up, and he stood in front, and he said uh, 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 to the church after I was done, uh, thank you, Jacob, that was very good, but we need to understand that these things don't have to happen, and these things don't happen nowadays. It may happen occasionally to one or two people, and so don't go in the expectation that this is how life is supposed to work. Life is full of difficulties, and things go up and down. And I'm listening to him, and I'm saying to myself, that was 45 minutes destroyed in less than a minute. But why is it that a pastor said that? The reason the pastor said that is because that is what he sees. He does not see things being provided. He does not see things being healed. He does not see scriptures as they need to be interpreted. He does not, he has not lived it. He has not seen it. Therefore, how can he teach anything else? He has to teach what he has seen. So on one hand, I cannot blame him. On the other hand, I wanted to blame him a lot. So I went up after him. And I said, um, I know I'm in your church. I disagree with what he was saying. But um, um, uh, these things, I believe, can happen to everybody. And I went and sat down. Because, uh, yeah, that I didn't want people to, in the church to think that I agreed with everything he said. I had to say that I disagree. And then I went and spoke to some of the elders in the church and I said, I'm sorry I said that, I disagreed, but I hope it was okay with you. And if you want to say something to me, feel free. And we left it at that. But the point is, you teach, live and believe what you see. And the battle is to perceive accurately. The battle is always that, will we perceive what we need to perceive accurately? The sad thing is, often we don't, we are supposed to. Will we perceive what we are supposed to perceive accurately? That is the battle. That is where the battle is. Because if my sight can be jaundiced, then um, the enemy does not have to do anything else. Because if sight is jaundiced, then he knows that believing will be jaundiced, your confessions will be twisted, and your action will be limited. Simple. If my sight is jaundiced, my beliefs will be half-baked, my confessions will be twisted, and my actions will be limited. And so faith will not produce the results it's supposed to produce. So how is our sight jaundiced? Our sight is jaundiced, and this is common knowledge, I believe, in this church. Sight is jaundiced by our experience. Our sight is jaundiced by what we have been taught. Our sight is jaundiced by feelings. Our sight is jaundiced by facts that have not gone over time, meaning when fat facts uh, don't change over time, we begin to believe the facts instead of the truth. Our sight is jaundiced by uh, human role models that we have who are themselves jaundiced. It's like a blind man leading a blind man. Our facts are jaundiced by inaccurate, inaccurate teaching. These are the things that jaundice our sight. 
our experience, especially when our experience is over a sustained period of time and we have not seen a change, then now that becomes our default in those areas. So it could be that in your life there are uh, people who are sick or there is a sickness in your body that has not gone over time. So then our seeing begins to change and we begin to think that this is the way it is. Sometimes it is because of plain inaccurate teaching. Now in some churches when they listen to this message, they'll say that I am inaccurate in my teaching because I say that it is God's will for everyone to be healed. But I stand my ground and say, no, that's the right teaching. If you are taught for 40 years that God sometimes heals and God usually does not and he has a greater purpose, that's what you'll believe. There are human role models we have. Sometimes it's our husbands, our fathers, our mothers, our, husbands, our wives who uh, seem to be our spiritual role model. And so whatever they did, we now hold on to and will not budge from it. Human examples are poor examples. At the end of the day, remember what we said. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is the ultimate standard in faith. Nothing less. Our feelings... We know, we know what this means. Sometimes, guys, biblical concessions can uh, also jaundice our sight. What I mean by that is, we'll pick on Paul, we'll pick on Job, and we'll pick on a few kings from um, the Old Testament and base our entire theology on what did not happen for them. I'm not going to argue that even right now. But th- those are biblical concessions. Like, like when Jesus said to the guy who said, is it okay to divorce? And Jesus said to them, Moses gave you that concession because you were hard-hearted. But it is not. Remember he makes that statement at one point? Uh, it's that kind of a thing. Except for um, when uh, there's sexual immorality or when there's violence. Uh, I can understand. Uh, and Jesus makes that exception. But the point is this, that we cannot take biblical concessions to build a theology around it. Another favorite uh, theology that comes is, oh, the Lord does not want to supply our wants. He only wants to supply our needs. Don't know where that came from. He only wants to supply our needs, not our wants. And then you'll have to now begin to redefine wants and needs and try to keep it both clear. Which father wants to supply only his child's bare needs? This is not that Baloo the bear... Bare necessities. No, it's not that thing. Yeah, God will supply all our needs was never meant to say that God will not supply wants. The word needs there is everything required for living. Now what is a need and a want suddenly? I'm sure hockey will be a want. (laughs) So just Understand that our sight is jaundiced by these things. And I want to say this. Important that you don't pass on your beliefs based on what you inaccurately, um, what you see inaccurately to others. Let me say that again. Please make sure that your beliefs are rock solid. Otherwise, do not pass on what you see inaccurately to others. Just as much as you cannot force one to walk in your faith, don't make someone walk in your lack of faith either. Calling that faith. 
Let me say that again. Just as much as I cannot force anybody here to walk in the faith that I may have in a situation, I should not force you to walk in the lack of faith either. Now, I may not have faith for healing, let's assume. If I do not have faith for healing, and you come to me and say you have a sickness, I should not now uh, say, you know, you're right. Sometimes God does stuff like this. He sends us sickness so that we may learn a greater lesson. You know what? You just go and get whatever needs to be done, done, and forget uh, the stuff about healing. I may not have the faith for it, but please do not pass it on. Just because you have a lack of, because I don't have a lack, because I have a lack of faith, make sure that I don't pass it on to somebody else. Make sure that whatever you pass on to somebody is rock solid. There are areas in my life where I'll tell people, I'm sorry I cannot uh, talk to you because I have not sorted that out in my life and I'm sorry I cannot advise you on that. I have to fix it in my life first. If someone came to me five or six years ago and asked me to pray for provision in their life, I'd sometimes feel like a hypocrite because I knew the situations with my provision and my lack of faith when it came to provision. And I'd be praying for provision for someone else. And I'd feel like, man, you know how to say these lines, but you don't know how to back it up in your own life. Don't want to do that. Just take them to someone else who may be able to pray for them. But do not pass on that which is incomplete or a lack in your life, either by pretending as a hypocrite or telling them something that is not true. Please don't. Questions? Comments? Uh, I would suggest that um, you check with someone you think uh, is perhaps uh, in that area walking uh, in your uh, view, a life that is just totally circumspect in, what, in terms of what the word says, and go and check. Go and check your understanding with that person, or go and check um, your life with that person's life. Learning initially is a process of second guessing, guys. I, I spent many years learning by watching. Uh, others in certain areas. And I did second guess myself because I did not know how to navigate. And it's time well spent. It's time well spent. And I would sit and listen while these men would talk about stuff. And I think to myself, when am I going to get here? It was not beating myself down, but it was always saying, here is a man I know who can walk a certain way, and I'd like to see how he does it. There was a guy called Vic who was brilliant at constructing churches all throughout the world. And I remember sitting and watching him and thinking to myself, man, this must be what it is to walk in the shoes of an apostle. And I didn't know anything about the apostolic then, but I knew that much and I'd watch him. And that's the way you learn. Make sure that your human examples are examples that actually have learned how to both talk the talk and walk the walk. Because one of the things Paul says, which I want to say in different areas of my life to the church at Acts 29 is, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there are areas in my life, which I say without any modesty right now, that you can imitate in my life because I imitate Christ. Not all, but there are many areas in my life where you can do that. And I said that with relative ease. As I can your life, in case you didn't know.
And at the end of the day, how did Christ walk? That should be my ultimate comparison. How did Christ walk when it came to provision? How did Christ operate when it came to healing? I know why he was not sick. One, because he was not born with original sin. Two, because he walked perfectly before God. But how did he deal with healing in other people's lives? There's only one plumb line for us in all these areas, guys. How did, how, how did he deal with things of life? How did he walk across the waters? How did he listen? What did he see? But th- that becomes our standard. That becomes our standard. Faith that is blind is usually faith based on inaccurate sight or natural sight. So the whole idea of blind faith really is not just trusting God and leaping off a cliff. Blind faith is when I'm either operating by natural sight (laughs) or I'm operating by inaccurate seeing. That's when I'm really blind. Otherwise, faith always operates on the basis of knowing revealed sight. Always. In a sense, yes, because uh, by my definition, which is not necessarily biblical, it's just a, perhaps a way of putting it, but I'm saying that blind faith is faith that is based on natural sight or on inaccurate seeing. But it's not a theological statement, it's just something I just wanted to say. And the only way blind faith in of the, uh, inaccurate f- uh, sight can be corrected is by accurate teaching or accurate modeling which is again a form of teaching, because teachers model what they are supposed to teach. Jesus said that. He said, look at these Pharisees. Don't do what they do. Sure, listen to them, but don't you do what they do. But that's not a good teacher. The other thing that I need to understand about seeing, and we touched on this also before, but I I was so sure that this had to be repeated this week. The other thing that we need to understand about seeing is that Folks, many of us, in many different situations in our life, think that God is neutral when it comes to dealing with us. God is neutral. We understand that God is not against us, but not all of us are constantly aware that God is for us. I go through these times when I'm shocked that I think God is not for me, neither is He against me. I just sometimes I'm shocked and I go and tell him, you know, Lord, after 20 years, I just, when I was talking to you right now, I was struggling because I wasn't sure whether you were for me. I know you're not against me, but I I suddenly felt that you weren't necessarily for me. God is never neutral when it comes to you. But you can think he is neutral if you do not recognize who he wants to be in your life. I want you to remind I want to remind you of Joshua five verse thirteen to fifteen. In Joshua five thirteen to fifteen, here's what happened. Happens. Joshua knows that soon he's got to go and take Jericho. And he goes for a walk. And when he goes for a walk, he suddenly sees a man with a sword drawn out. And he goes up to the man and he asks the man a question. He says to him, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the man has a strange reply. And this man is a pre incarnate Christ. Just so you know. The man says, neither. And it's always fascinated me that the pre-incarnate Christ appears to Joshua. And Joshua asks, are you for us or are you for the enemy? 
And he says, neither. That's neutrality. And then after saying neither, he says, I am the Lord of the armies of heaven. And immediately Joshua falls down to the ground. As soon as Joshua recognizes who he is and his title, immediately God begins to reveal to him everything else that needs to be revealed. And I want to say to you that God will only be neutral to you if you do not recognize his awesomeness and what his title is to you in a particular season, at a particular junction, in a particular event. That is when you leave thinking he's neutral. But if you and I have in every situation an ability to go up to God and say, what are you being to me? What is your title right now in my life? I recognize your awesomeness. I know you are Lord. But tell me your title in my life right now. And I'm saying to you that if you practice this, you'll be surprised at how your heart will leap like a calf that is prancing. Because suddenly you realize in junctions of your life, in situations, in events, he tells you who he is for that particular season. And you suddenly are filled with such boldness that on one hand you will bow before him. On the other hand, you leap to your feet and prance around because your heart is full of this revelation of who he is. I know who he is this month in July as I travel. I'm sometimes surprised at who he doesn't tell me he is. What I mean is, I expect him to be mighty miracle worker. And when I ask him, so Father, I'm going on this trip, and you know all the things that go with the trip. What do you want me to? What do you want to be to me during this time? And when he tells me, sometimes it doesn't fit what I want him to be, but it doesn't matter. So let's assume he says to me that I want to be your teacher for the next month during the trip. Then you know what I'll do? I'll go take the Bible and I'll take every scripture on what a teacher does. And I'll take every scripture on how a pupil responds. It's very easy to do that. Go to Esau or any such. Now I have exactly what the Bible says a teacher will be like, as Christ is. And I also know how a pupil should respond. Now I'm armed. For the next 21 to 26 days, I'll be walking around knowing who he is. When Joshua went up to him and he said, neither, and then he reveals his title, he didn't tell Joshua, I am Yahweh. He didn't say to Joshua, I'm Yahweh Jairah, your provider. He didn't say to Joshua, I'm Yahweh Rapha, your healer. He didn't say, I'm Yahweh Shama, I'm Yahweh Nisi. He said, I'm Yahweh Sabaoth. Why? Because he knew that the next morning Joshua has to go and take Jericho. He knows the event, the situation, the juncture you are at. And he will reveal what he needs to be. And suddenly it's like a banner waving over your head which goes with you wherever you're traveling because the king is in residence there and the king has a title that applies to your situation for now. So you don't have to worry about miracle working and all that stuff because he has just told you he's going to be your teacher and you know immediately that he will watch over you and instruct you and teach you his paths and his ways. And you will hear a voice in your ear saying, do not turn to the left or do not turn to the right, but walk in the ancient paths and I will prosper you in what you do. So suddenly you respond like a pupil and you go with such confidence. And your eyes and ears and heart is continuously cocked because you want to hear the rabbi speak to you and tell you what he is about. And you realize that even though you are going on a trip, you're going to learn and come back far more learned. For I have been taught 
by the tongue of my teacher and my ears have been listening to him. You see how everything changes? This is something we need to do in terms of sight. When we begin to see who God is in a particular season, then it is easy now to base my beliefs on the sight of his name. When you acknowledge it, God begins to reveal more as he did with Joshua. Have to see his title. What does he want to be at seasons, events in my life? At the end of the day, I always remember this. God is not neutral with you. You're his son. And God said this about Jesus. He said, I love my son dearly and because I love my son dearly, I will show him all things. And this he says in John 5.20. Put your name in there. I love my Jacob dearly. And I will show him all the things that he needs to see. Because I love my Jacob dearly. Can you imagine my Jacob? This is nuts, man. Sight must lead to believing. Sight must lead to believing. It is possible for sight not to lead to believing. It's fascinating how, like I said, I was sharing testimonies in that church. And at the end of testimonies, and they knew I was telling the truth. At the end of all those testimonies, there was no believing. Sight, you would think, would lead to belief. You know, in Matthew 27, verse 28, I think Jesus has just risen from the dead. And he appears to disciples. And it says, many believed, but some doubted. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they saw him, man. They saw him risen in an immortal body. And many believed, but some doubted. Sight should lead to belief. And please understand that beliefs are more than preferences. Belief is more than consensus. Beliefs are non-negotiable convictions. Yeah, please, this is important, okay? We all say we believe, but a belief is a non-negotiable conviction. It's non-negotiable. And what's it based on? It's based on this grasp you have of God's non-negotiable faithfulness and truth. It's non-negotiable. That's what a belief is, guys. A belief is not a preference. A belief is not a consensus opinion because most people seem to be getting it um, right when they um, think along those lines. A belief is a non-negotiable conviction. Because you have suddenly grasped the fact that God has some non-negotiable truths and His faithfulness is non-negotiable. So now you can stake your life on it and your reputation and lose both if He doesn't turn up. But guess what? It pleases Him. Because there are people who did trust Him and the Bible says they did not get what they were looking for here on earth. But they knew something else was waiting for them. Always remember, the, the objective of faith is not to obtain results. The objective of faith is to please God. The results are a byproduct. It was a big leap for me. I always used to think the objective of faith was getting results. Convictions are non-negotiable. 
A conviction is a belief you won't change. A conviction is a belief you won't change. To violate a conviction would be a sin. A conviction is a belief you won't change. You can add to a conviction. Once you know it's accurate, God may cause more truth to explode onto your sight and you add to it. But a conviction is not something that changes. Um, I, I don't know if I told you this. Um, I may have told you, some of you, this uh, situation. Uh, um, I was, um, this happened um, some five or six years, five years ago. 2000, 2004 May or something. Or doesn't matter, five or six years ago. I was flying from Vancouver to London and uh, with somebody else on a mission trip. And this person was much more learned and perhaps uh, one of the people who's invested the most in my life. And as I'm going on this mission trip, uh, halfway through the flight, uh, I break out into cold sweat and I feel dizzy and I completely um, uh, just uh, go dead. And I found out later that the person took my pulse and found out that um, there was no pulse and I had gone cold. And so um, when I came around, I found that they had... um, put an oxygen mask on my face, cleared the chair, uh, the seat next to me, and had um, um, fed me Coke because they thought that I needed, my sugar levels were low or stuff like that. And uh, I felt a little embarrassed at all this that had happened. So finally, uh, once people had gone back, I took off the mask, and the person next to me told me that uh, you had completely gone dead, and he had started praying in tongues and, uh, because he did not feel a pulse, and uh, the body had gone cold. And um, we went f- uh, uh, after the after that the trip went fine. I was away for two weeks, worked really hard like I normally do on trips, and came back. And when I came back, the person said to me that you need to now go to a doctor and you need to check out uh, the condition, uh, your physical condition, because what happened on that aircra- aircraft was really something else, and you need to go and check um, yourself out. And I believe that this is something uh, God wants you to do. And I would recommend that you do it because you have to be responsible. He didn't say God wants you to do it. I want you to do it because you have to be responsible uh, to keep yourself well before God and stuff like that. And because it was this man who had such such an impre- such an influence on my life, uh, I, I, I was suddenly caught in this dilemma because all my life since I've become a Christian, which was in 1988, I have never had ever to touch a medicine. Never. Which is, I'm not saying that the, that is the standard that I want to apply to everybody, but I'm saying in my life, that is how it has worked. I've never had to touch a medicine. And here is this man of God who I respect and honor and look up to who's telling me that I need to go. And I'm caught in this dilemma because I know what how God has operated with me and I know what this man is telling me now. That night, that man has a dream. And in that dream, this is funny, in that, but it, when I interpreted it, it wasn't. In the dream, he sees um, uh, me getting married to somebody. And so I'm standing in front of the altar, and there's this person in a bridal gown with, her f- with the face covered with a veil, and uh, he is the one who's marrying us. And he pronounces uh, us husband and wife, and then I lift the veil, and it's a guy. <laughs> and now it's a guy and he says to me Jacob um, it's too late I have already pronounced you man and wife and you're married and there's nothing you can do 
And as he's talking to me, the Lord is beginning to speak to me. I was driving down the Oak Street Bridge and taking that ramp off to come to my place. And I just remember the spot. And the Lord is saying, do you see, do you see, do you see? And as he's talking, I said, uh, I have an inter... He said, I do not understand what it means. Uh, you have to be careful. I said, I understand it. And I began to tell him. I said, if I marry right now into the system that you are telling me to go into, the Lord has taught me to be this way all my life. He has always taken care of my health and he has always kept me safe without the need for medicines and he's always healed me. Now if you have asked me to go and marry into a system that God has taught me to stay out of and I do it, I'll never be able to come out of it. And this man had the humility to say, you know you're right, do not listen to anything I said before. The reason I'm telling you this is sometimes if you have a conviction about something and you have to make sure you have an accurate sight and conviction, then you have to stand your ground regardless. At the cost of your reputation, even sometimes at the cost of your life. But that's what convictions are about. If you go and check any law situation in the U.S., the, um, if you go to a court in the U.S., the U.S. courts define what is a belief and what is a conviction. Did you know that? A belief is something that can change. And they ask you, is it a belief that you have or is it a conviction? Because if it's a conviction, they know that you will not change it at any cost, even if you get a jail term. But if it's a belief, the court can ask you to perhaps change your belief because beliefs are defined as changeable. You can go check it. I checked it this morning to make sure. The reason for telling you that story is You've got to know what your convictions are. And you've got to base your convictions on accurate sight. And then if it's a conviction, you can stand. Because to violate a conviction would be sin. To violate a belief would be a sin. And the Bible says in Romans 14.23, anything that I do not do in faith is sin. Make sure your convictions are solid. That's important. That's why sight is so important. Conviction always will speak, guys. It will always speak because convictions are on the inside and it will always show up on the outside in your lifestyle. If you have a conviction about anything, it will speak. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter uh, 3, verse 23 or thereabouts, um, they had, verse 17 and 18, sorry, they had convictions. They had convictions and they, their conviction within them spoke and they said, O king, we believe that our God is going to rescue us. But perchance that God does not rescue us, we want you to know that we will not bow to you. It's, it's at cost. It's at cost. Any questions? Before we move on to confession and then action. We should be done by 1.15. Any questions? You see why it is very important that I know my sight and I know my convictions before I teach or try to influence somebody else. And why you need to do the same before you teach or influence somebody. Because just as dangerous as it is to influence somebody else to walk in your faith, it is as dangerous to encourage someone to walk in your lack of faith or my lack of faith. 
So there are many times when people will come and ask me for prayer, and I realize that I don't have faith to pray for it. So instead of praying help, I back off and I first go and negotiate with God saying, I do not have faith to pray for this. You know something? I did not have faith to pray for the child's muscle. And then uh, the day after I heard it, I was talking to Heidi and uh, saying, Heidi, so um, this is what is happening. And very casually she said, if the child has a muscle, the things will work out. And uh, I don't see why God cannot create a muscle. And I heard that, and so I went back and I started saying to God, it's that easy, Father, I want, we want muscles. And then we prayed together that evening. But till then, I had not even gone to that area of muscles. I was thinking of other options, of uh, a tube being inserted. Father, may the, uh, because the ma- father, had, the dad had suggested that if you put in a tube, a seven centimeter tube, things will work out. So I was going for that option till I heard about the muscle. See, sometimes when you do not have faith for something, no, instead of going for the usual help prayer, which is okay, but we have to move to places of maturity. Step back and say, okay, Father, I want to come to the place where I can have faith for this and work on it. It is your personal responsibility to work on it. This is discipline, guys. These are the disciplines of Christian life. These are the disciplines of Christian life. Convictions lead to confession. We're talking about the next page now. Convictions lead to confession. And just so we understand what confession means, to confess is to acknowledge, agree, and then declare. Confessions are an acknowledgement, an agreement, and then a declaration. So confessions are not mantras because they are a declaration of intent. They are a declaration of intent. And confessions have limited power if you haven't seen accurately, if you haven't believed it to a point of being absolutely persuaded. Confessions are just um, limited in power. They don't do much. Because the Bible says in Amos 3.3, one of my favorite scriptures, can two walk together in agreement unless, can two walk together except they are in agreement. So, um, it's pointless confessing stuff. It's a hollow echo. If I already haven't come into agreement with what God can do and with what God is saying, because I've seen it, and now I'm persuaded to a point of being convicted of it in my heart. Only then is it natural for the abundance of the heart to be spoken with the mouth. That's how it works. And if you begin to actually confess because you have seen and because you are persuaded in your heart, it will show in your in, in, in pattern changes in your life, guys. Confession is always matched with consistent changes of patterns in your life. Once I begin to confess a certain thing, you and it comes out of a deep conviction, you'll see that in an area where I used to react differently, there's a change in pattern now. Because now my words are not talk the talk, it's words that come out of my walk. There's a difference suddenly. And that's perhaps where um, charismatic Christians such as some of us missed out when confession became the end game instead of it being 
a declaration of intent that was based on rock solid conviction with him. And here's another important point which you need to note that um, that reason will always try to silence confession. Reason will always try to silence and intimidate confession. Reason. Reason will try to silence confession or intimidate. It will try to silence confession. The voice of reason silences, dilutes our convictions and our confession. Let me say that again. The voice of reason will always try to silence or dilute our convictions and our confession. Like Roland Tan used to say, cut off that cabbage. That's, I mean, cut off your head and stick a cabbage there. You'll do better. The voice of reason will always silence your convictions and confession. Or it will dilute it. You know, I'm just saying this again. This is where you can look really foolish. Uh, but I need to say this. Like, I know that there is a particular uh, vehicle that God is going to give me in future. And uh, I'm even asking him now, okay, Father, so what do I do with my present vehicle? And it looks like I'll have to give it away to somebody. So I don't know who. But uh, now every morning when I wake up, I see this vehicle going past my house. And I do not know why he wants to give it to me because it's not like I'm unhappy with the vehicle I have. But I know it. So every morning I say, oh, Father, there it goes. First thing I get up in the morning, there, you've seen it again. And now I'm beginning to examine the vehicle, beginning to check it out to see, wow, not bad, not bad. And now my question is, okay, Father, so who do I give the present vehicle I have to? You've got to tell me that too, because what would I do with two vehicles? As far as I know, uh, I'm not getting married in the next few months, so don't need two vehicles. Might as well give one away. Uh, And when I was uh, writing this, I thought, no, no, I should speak it out here in church, because I'm quite sure this is going to happen. Might as well tell you, right? Perhaps we'll do a raffle in the church or something. No, no, just kidding. But the point is, I just needed to throw that in for my own sake. Folks, it's a Toyota, but it's an SUV. The voice of reason silences or dilutes our belief. And folks, um, the voice of reason will also cause you to sometimes not act in faith for small things. Here's, Here's an example. It's only a small headache. Forget praying. Just grab the Advil. It's only a small headache. So why go through the whole labor of prayer? Just grab the aspirin or the Advil. It's much easier. Oh, it's only a small muscle pull that will go away in four days. I can't understand that. Yeah, that's the voice of reason. But... uh, this is this is common to us all. I am surprised that sometimes if the pain is not bad enough, uh, it will go away in three, four days. We live in a different economy. I guarantee you, if Jesus was with 12 of you and you had an it, Jesus, boo-boo. After three and a half years, 
the language wouldn't change. But the point is this, guys. We bear it because the voice of reason says, now you're going to pray for that and what if the headache doesn't go to deal with the hassle of why the headache didn't go. And exa- Just take the blooming tablet. See, this is how we fall out of practice. Guys, we have to be faithful in little things. That is what makes a crisis become a small thing later on. A crisis is big because we never practiced it with little things. When you practice with little things, a crisis loses its size and magnitude. I refuse now to bear up if if there is a thing Father, it is hurting and I really don't like pain and you know that. I don't know why you gave me such a low threshold of pain but I'm glad you did but please in the name of Jesus Christ be healed. Same applies to provision. Same applies to failure. Same applies to doors opening. Same applies to shutting doors. Same applies to um, not allowing things. Same applies to allowing things. It's all the same man. We learn in small things. Let's go to action and finish. Confession has to be followed by action. See, folks, if our response is the same difference as the world, no, what good are we if we just bookend our uh, prayers with some faith jargon? What good is it if it's the same difference as the world? we got to be distinctly different when it comes to faith, man. There's always a shedding away of a garment when you um, walk on what you see or what you believe and what you speak. Remember blind Bartimaeus, what did he do? He shed off the garment. He didn't shed off the garment and fold it neatly and keep it safely so that later on he can pull it out and wear it again. He shed it off and he walked. And action that follows this kind of sight, this kind of believing, this kind of declaring of intent is always a burning of bridges, man. A burning of bridges because there will be absolutely no going back. You risk your reputation and your life. Risk your reputation. And there will be times when you risk your reputation and your reputation is in ruins.